Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. There are plenty of entertainment shows out there that like to focus on the gossip, that like to focus on the negative, but we're just looking for the good. And everything is good in entertainment. (laughs) Thank you, Cole. Um... You know, and one thing that we like to do to highlight the good is to start out by talking about the very best in entertainment news. And there is some fantastic news this week, especially if you were a fan of a little film that could called Avengers Endgame. I mean, it was crawling there at the end as far as its box office production. Not very many people seeing it these past couple weeks, but it, you know, it, it edged out. Avatar to be the biggest movie of all time. And I dare say that was their end End game. game? Mm. Hmm. (laughs) That's exciting. But why is is, uh, uh, Avengers Endgame in the news again, Cole? Because Marvel has amazing marketing and they make sure it's in the news every single week. Um, Just in case you've forgotten, it's the biggest movie of all time as of last week. And this week it's on demand. You can download it digitally. Um, The official DVD, Blu-ray and everything release is not until next week. But people are already checking out the bonus features and behind-the-scenes stuff and a couple deleted scenes Hmm. possibly all available in the digital copy that you can download right now so if you demand it you can demand it right now on your demand jeff right so cole you know i'm really big into baseball but for a lot of people they don't go for america's greatest pastime they go for another sport, which is the newest pastime of America. Right. That's football, and football's back, folks. After a long summer, we will now have a football game every single. Now it's just the preseason right now. Last night was the Hall of Fame game between the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Broncos backups won fourteen to ten over the Falcons backups. It's the preseason; it's not a big deal. It's a big deal that just football is back, and there will not be another week of our lives without football until. Early February when the Super Bowl is played. College football will be back in three weeks or so. Uh, Around these parts, the BYU-Utah game on opening night of the college football season is going to be a lot of fanfare going along with it. But football. I love football. I'm excited. This is something that's on my screen all the time. We talk about movies and TV. Uh, This is one of my favorite things. You know, it's interesting because... Football is what, like sixteen games long? Is is the regular season? Yeah, that's how it's long like a hundred and fifty some less than baseball. And yet, I feel like football is talked about year round, as it should be. Um, come on, I mean, sixteen games versus like a hundred sixty plus games. They cram it into the season length is about the same because baseball you're playing five times a week, whereas football it's just that once it's it's that idea that less is more, Jeff. It leaves you wanting. It it knows how to hold back just enough so that you don't just get everything that you want, unlike a particular movie franchise that we're gonna be talking about eventually. Yeah. And speaking about that particular movie franchise, <laughs> there was a Thursday night preview of said movie last night. And lo and behold, there was a teaser trailer that snuck in to the trailers 
It's you know, not often that a trailer actually debuts in front of a movie where trailers used to belong. Normally, we're used to these big like YouTube releases sure. of them or uh, going back to football. The Super Bowl is a big time. The first time I saw um, a trailer for Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, it was during the Super Bowl. And so there's all these times where you can put out your trailers and get them in front of eyes. But Chris Nolan, a fan of the cinema, decided to put his... In the movies. Right. And it's a movie called Tenet. And if you know anything about Christopher Nolan, uh, he likes to be very secretive about his films. Football is your jam. Christopher Nolan, he's my jam. You know, there's there's like a football season and then there's a Christopher Nolan season. And we we need to talk about him more. Only comes around once every couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, and you know if it's Christopher Nolan, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. It's going to be huge. So have you seen the trailer? Have they put it on YouTube? No, nope, it's not to watch? online yet. So unless you went Thursday night, you are going to be in the dark on this one. I love this. I love that it's not just at – it's not on demand as everything else seems to be in this well, media world. he's kind of an old-fashioned guy. I don't know how much he has to do with the marketing of the film. but uh, They're matching his oeuvre though. Like whoever's in charge of marketing is smart. Right. He, you know, he kind of wears the fact that he doesn't own a cell phone as a badge of honor. So he's kind of an old-fashioned his guy. His movies come out on film like the 75 or 35 right. millimeter instead of the digital. He shows up to work in a suit kind of like Alfred Hitchcock. And a very professional guy. So I like it. That'll be exciting. So, Cole, Christopher Nolan, his name is going to be synonymous with movies from here on out. And he's just going to be one of the great filmmakers of all time. And speaking of some of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Especially of recent memory of the right. 2000s to today. I've been... I continue to watch this documentary series uh, on CNN produced by Tom Hanks called simply The Movies, and each episode deals with a decade. They could have split this last episode into two because it was the 2000s to today, as you said. But, Which is uh, now two full decades considering it's right, 2019. Right. So I told you that I've been compiling lists of the movies that are mentioned that I have not seen. Of all of the episodes that have aired or will air, this is the smallest list that I've had to make. All right. Instead of like dozens and dozens, it's – I doubt it's even two dozen. Nice. Well, maybe two dozen. But uh, yeah, I've got got some catching up to do. They, of course, talked about uh, a lot of star power that came out in the 2000s. With Russell Crowe and Jennifer Lawrence, they talked about some of the more comedic forces to be reckoned with in Melissa McCarthy and Will Ferrell. And then the, I mean, arguably one of the greatest actors to have ever lived had some amazing work in the 2000s, Daniel Day-Lewis. They spent some time on him. But I've got a couple of trivia questions here for you, As you always do. Okay. And I always do terribly. So somebody else in the 2000s had an amazing streak. It's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And somebody said of this filmmaker, his films give us the version of history we wish we would have seen. Interesting. So they are historical... Fiction. Fiction. Yes. Um, give me another hint. Who likes to stretch the truth... And kind of rewrite history 
What are some of the biggest moments in history that you wish would have been rewritten? World War II. Yes. Who sure. was a force to be reckoned with in World War II? Winston Churchill? Well, on the other side. Oh, uh, Hitler. Who got a different story in this filmmaker's film? Uh, I mean, Quentin Tarantino. That is correct. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> we talked about him in the 90s as well. I wasn't sure if you were going to bring him yeah, two weeks in a row. I did. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about his latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, especially the fact that he's really taking some liberties with some of the famous people portrayed in this film, especially yeah, Bruce Lee. When you deal with real life people, you kind of, especially real life people that are this close and they're still alive or their um, children are still alive, they're going to yeah. notice. Yep. So Honestly, here... when you first brought up uh, revisionist history, I thought immediately of The Producers by Mel Brooks and Springtime for Hitler, oh. <laughs> um, which I also enjoy. That movie did come out in the 2000s, that version of it anyway. Well. <laughs> okay, so here's one more. Can you name the three Mexican directors that won Best Director five of six years Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. And Guillermo del Toro. Yes. And... Ooh, 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 um, Inurito. Yes. Um, what's his first name? Alfon. Is it no? Because it's, it's Alfonso Cuaron. I don't know. To be honest with you, but yet. it's Inurito. <laughs> and, and yeah, they. Somebody said of of this year, they must have been putting something in the water there because. Yeah, five of six years in a row, these directors just kept winning. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Inurito. Is it Inurito? Inurito. Inurito. He's won a couple of times. Guillermo, I guess, yeah, one of the others must have won. And they've each been time. nominated in the foreign language categories Sheesh. as well, but their big films also win Best Picture, Best Director, that kind of stuff. So I mentioned Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee may or may not come up on next week's trivia as we talk about the 1970s, for which I am going to have an insanely long list of films that I have never seen from the 1970s. As we start broaching into the decades where we haven't been alive, there's a little yep. bit more catching up to do. Right. So that's the movies. You can catch it on CNN. Very entertaining. Produced by Tom Hanks. And uh, yeah, you'll have plenty of ideas for films that you can brush up on or discover for the first time. Stick them in your Netflix queue. So Cole, we, uh, we like franchises on the show. And we like them, especially if we can just watch them from home on Netflix. And a big franchise that has just hit Netflix is one that we care very deeply about that's very important to our childhood and now our adult years. It's the Rocky franchise. It's one of those movies that you and I can agree on, Jeff. Right. Rocky's one through five, even five. I would sit down and watch it. There's just something about those characters. You care so deeply for them. And toward the end of the franchise, they just get so cheesy and so hokey, but you don't care because it's Rocky and the music is amazing. And I th- I really feel like the, the reason Rocky has lasted over all these years for now eight films is because it's a Cinderella story. Everybody, I feel, in, in one way or another, has felt like Rocky. And overcoming odds in your own life 
is what we're all about, what we all hope to achieve at some point in our lives in some capacity, right? And Rocky is a main character. Even when he screws up, he's still sincere. He's still always trying, and he still just represents that that kind of indomitable spirit where you're willing to just keep trying no matter what pushes you down. He keeps getting back up. Are there any other franchises that if, you know, I've watched the Rocky franchise so many times, are there any other franchises that maybe I have not seen that I should just have a marathon? Well, there's three of them on Netflix, and there's um, five others, as I do math, and one more in theaters, and that is Fast and the Furious. Okay, but gosh, I, there are like ten of these movies now. How am I supposed Nine. to get caught up with all of them? Well, um, I'm going to give you a quick recap later on in the episode today or you can go on YouTube and just kind of look at the trailers or you can just assume cargo fast uh, explosion go boom and you will be caught up on the plot because the plot doesn't particularly matter in these movies. That's the extent of my vocabulary by the way when I have a mouthful of popcorn. Cargo boom. Explosion happen. Yeah. And that's that's what a lot of people are going to be saying <laughs> in the theaters this weekend when they go to see Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, boy. Is this going to be number one at the box office this weekend? Absolutely. Wow. I have no doubt. These movies do amazing at the box office, and this one more than all the others. I'm the person in this room, uh, not Jeffrey, that has seen every single one. I have, like, this wealth of knowledge and, and understanding of the franchise as a whole and how it has progressed through the years. That will do me absolutely no practical good in the rest of my life. But it does give me the perspective to say that after all of these films, I think we have now reached peak accessibility for the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm a personal fan of the early ones that are a little more serious. Fast Five is the peak of they finally figured out make it ridiculous but make it good action. And then it kind of petered off a little bit. Hobbs and Shaw is a new peak in the franchise in its ridiculosity. It is just – Is that a word? Constantly at you with quips and funny lines and explosions and unrealistic stunts and, and amazing things. There's almost no cars in this. It's a lot of guys <gasps> punching each other. Oh, that's unforgivable. Which is where the franchise has kind of gotten over the years. But, hmm. but this one really does do it more than you have ever seen before. I was amazed that I was surprised as much as I was that they were willing to just throw caution and throw rationale to the wind and just do what's fun for this movie. Okay, so who's in this other than Hobbs and Shaw? So Hobbs is played by The Rock. Mm -hmm. Shaw is played by Jason Statham. And then the bad guy um, who... His first line is someone says, hey, who are you? And Idris Elba says, I'm the bad guy in a British accent, which is what that was an attempt at. See, it lends credibility to it if you have the British accent, right? British guys are bad. Statham also has a British accent. (laughs) Vanessa Kirby plays Jason Statham's little sister. We've already been introduced to Jason Statham's brother, played by Luke Evans earlier in the franchise. Now we are introduced to his sister. Dame Helen Mirren comes back. She's been in these movies before as Jason Statham's (laughs) mom. Um, these they movies the are whole, fun. They got the whole Shaw. Is he Shaw or Hobbs? 
He's Shaw. They got the whole Shaw family. Well, and these movies are, if they were about anything, they are definitely about family, said in a Vin Diesel voice. You know, it's interesting because we talked a little bit about this movie on, and the entire franchise on the Lisa Valentine Clark show. And I never thought that I would be looked down upon for not having seen the Fast and the Furious films. They're fun. I mean, you talk about ridiculosity. Is that what you called it? Yes. That is a whole new level of ridiculosity when, yeah, I'm looked down upon for not seeing these ridiculous movies. A lot of people watch them. So this one, I I think this might be the worst movie of the bunch as far as structure or things you want to critique. Honestly, the action wasn't as action-y. It didn't get you in it. It wasn't as kinetic. Sometimes you couldn't follow it as well as some of these other movies but at the end of the day, they give you what you want. And the way I describe it is that every time this movie gets a chance to do either what is rational or what is fun, they go for what is fun. And a lot of times, like I watched The Meg last year, mm-hmm. also with Jason Statham, mm-hmm. and it was a fun summer movie and it had some dumb action in it. But there were a lot of times where it pulled back just a little bit. Like Jason Statham could have punched a shark in that movie, but they still wanted to make it somewhat believable. In Hobbs and Shaw, (laughs) there is no believability. They always go for what's fun, and I think people will enjoy it. I feel like had they gone all the way with the Meg and just gone for complete ridiculosity, it would have been much more enjoyable. And so if that's an opinion that you share with Jeff, Hobbs and Shaw is going to be your kind of movie. Gosh, I guess I need to go back and watch parts one through eight? Or not. Okay, Hobbs and Shaw were enemies earlier on in the franchise. Now they're frenemies. Boom, you're caught up. Okay, there we go. Now I don't need to see eight movies. Anyway, when we return, we're going to be talking about something that's somewhat related to the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, because those movies can often be criticized for being more style over substance. More on that topic when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. You've probably been to the movies before. Maybe you've even seen a Fast and Furious film and thought, you know... I would probably enjoy these movies a lot more if I would just maybe turn my brain off or ignore the fact that there's not a lot of meat on this bone, but it sure does look good. There's there's not substance, maybe, and one of the criticisms is that they go for style over substance. Now, the Fast and Furious movies aren't, I think, an amazing example of this because their style is still just action-y and ridiculous. I want to talk about the movies where style was a specific choice in the filmmaking instead of plot or character development. And these are great movies that we love that are pretty to look at or great to listen to or just the experience is more so than maybe just the nitty-gritty of the plot and traditional substance. Now, Cole, I want to start off by saying Of the movies that I'm going to talk about, I don't love all of them, but there are certainly admirable qualities of each of these films. 
Um, and I'm going to save my best for last because it is, I think, the best of all of these films that will be talked about, including any that may pop up on your list, mm-hmm. if I may on. say so myself. <laughs> so the first one I want to talk about is a film called Pacific Rim. Ooh. This is a film I never would have seen on my own, but my brother-in-law said, you know, I really want to go see this movie, and I happened to be working down in his neck of the woods one day. And so after work, we went and saw it, and uh, I don't know what the takeaway was. It certainly was a weird, unusual film. I don't think I would ever watch it again, but Guillermo del Toro has a very unique style. He does a lot of horror, but he also does a lot of imaginative things. And for that, I want to give him props. The guy has an amazing imagination. So this is basically kind of like a Godzilla movie, but instead of other monsters fighting Godzilla, you have basically these humans inside these giant robots fighting these monsters, right? Yeah. It wasn't exactly for me, but... uh, you know, it had a very unique and interesting style. And and the style of the first one, I think I love that you brought that up because you can tell it's Guillermo del Toro. It's done a little bit better than the sequel. I think what sets these two apart, even though they're both just big robots hit big monsters, there's a specific style to the first one that's a little bit more pleasing, a little bit more engaging to watch when it was Guillermo del Toro in charge of it than when the sequel came out and it just kind of looked like any other generic action movie. And it didn't quite catch people the way the first one did because there was something about the style of the first one. Hmm. Okay. And Guillermo del Toro, I, I mean, of, of course, the horror fan that I am, Pan's Labyrinth and The Devil's Backbone and his his Spanish language horrors are also amazing to look at. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Ooh. produced by Guillermo del Toro from the mind of Guillermo del Toro. Hopefully, he'll bring a certain style to those as well. So what are some films that you feel – our style over substance. Well, I'll I'll start then with my horror offering. Ooh. Um, a lot of times horror movies are criticized for not having any substance, but I want to focus on those that do have a specific style. You know, any slasher can be said it's style over substance just because it's more fun to look at than it is to think about. Because the formula is pretty much the same. Because the formula is the same. You just mm-hmm. enjoy watching the kills. But a movie that has a specific style beyond just that is from the 1970s called Suspiria. Oh, yeah. Any There's a, a genre of horror, a subgenre called Italian giallo films. And also Blood and Black Lace would fall into this as well, where they're very pretty horror movies. They use color and they use the stylism of the age and, and of trying to capture, you know, both of these take place in either the fashion industry or in a dance studio, a dance school, where they can contrast these very pretty things with very horrific things going on. You know, another example of that, I, I don't have much to say about Suspiria because I've never seen either the, version The original. Of it. The original yeah. is better than the remake. So another uh, film that could be considered pretty or really anything from this filmmaker's wheelhouse uh, could be considered pretty and maybe even style over substance. 
So I'm speaking particularly of the film Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, yes. It's a pretty basic story, you know, somebody trying to catch a fox and the fox trying to outwit that somebody trying to catch him. Uh, it's a, based on a Roald Dahl book. But the works of Wes Anderson are extremely beautiful to look at. A prime example of that would be uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which My is a— My personal favorite of his? Yes, a favorite of mine as well. And it is beautiful to look at. But the stories are so basic and the characters are so odd that it really is style over substance. But they sure are popular. He's a good example of that phrase, every frame as a painting, where Mm -hmm. you could just pause any Wes Anderson movie and see the symmetry and just kind of take a screenshot of it and hang it on your wall. And it's art. Yeah. And it's the more films he produces, the more that is true. Some of his earlier films, that's probably not as true. The the earlier films probably focused more on the wacky characters, but they would they would play it a little more deadpan and not as cartoony as they do in these newer films of his. Another filmmaker going along with Wes Anderson that I think emphasizes style over substance is Zack Snyder. It's not in a mm. pretty, you know, portrait kind of way that Zack that Wes Anderson does it, but it is in in kind of an actiony and very you know, visually engaging way, especially 300 and Sucker Punch. I think go for just the stylism of trying to capture what it feels like to be in this world more so than, you know, especially 300. This is kind of supposed to be a historical epic um, when there's really (laughs) no history at all that's trackable or accurate. But it is fun to just see a bunch of really good looking buff dudes go to war and he stylizes that i think in in a perfect way for what he's trying to capture yeah i think one more uh set of filmmakers that we could lump into the conversation not for every one of their films but films like burn after reading and hail caesar are certainly more style over substance. The Coen brothers have a style to their later works as well. Right. I'm not sure what the takeaway for either of those films was. And J.K. Simmons's character at the end of Burn After Reading basically says something to the effect of, well, what did we learn? I'm not sure what we learned here, but... Uh, well, job well done. And then that was that was the end of the movie. That was the last line of the movie. He's like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to take away from this. Basically, talking is what about he was the saying. movie as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Coen brothers occasionally fit into that category as well. Another filmmaker I think we can lump in here. I'm not as familiar with his works, but definitely makes pretty movies. This time on full on animation, not just stop motion. Or we've talked about live action, but Hayao Miyazaki makes beautiful movies where the style and kind of the calming, you know, this is the Howl's Moving Castle or Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are familiar with. The plot and the story don't really carry you through it. It's just the calming visuals and especially the music he pairs. He's one of those guys that pairs with a composer for his career. And that music just puts you so at ease that that's a style to itself as well. Interesting. Okay, I think of a movie trailer that came out a couple years ago that had so many people excited to see the movie. And then when you saw the movie, you were so disappointed because the trailer was so much fun. The trailer was very stylized. 
And the movie had absolutely no substance whatsoever. I'm speaking, of course, of the Academy Award-winning film Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, that trailer was like a fun, happy, bright music video where the music was in time with the guns being shot off. And you had a bunch of fun-looking characters having a blast being bad. But gosh, We're bad guys. There, it's what we do. There was absolutely nothing going on in the movie. They just I, meander around this abandoned city for the entire film. And we've had a chance to talk about this movie before on Screen Cleaning during our discussions of favorite trailers. A fact that I brought up then was that that trailer was so successful in the style that it brought to the table that an entire trailer company was brought in to make a re-edit of the beginning of that movie – And this is – gosh, Jeff, I love the examples that you're bringing up because this is really a fantastic example of when too much style can be a bad thing. We never got a chance to really have it be a full-length movie because a bunch of music video and trailer cuts do not a feature-length film make. Well, plus you need to focus on the characters a little bit because these are characters that people are very – passionate about they're the bad guys of the dc universe you can't you can't uh skimp on that department anyway if i can i can i move from an academy award winner for its you know makeup and sure an overall bad movie to an academy award winner that was good okay and that is the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford that was a good movie this movie the style of it is really captured in its cinematography in the way that it captured a historical era roger deakins one of the more celebrated cinematographers of our era kind of put put kind of a fogginess around the outside of the frame at times in this to picture like you're taking an old-timey picture. The dialogue at times in this movie can seem stilted or can seem stuck in a bygone era, but that was all part of the style to capture what they were trying to get across. And I think it all came together in a really great way, as well as a haunting score. We haven't talked about music as part of style yet either, um, and I think this one introduces it in its score in a really interesting way. Can I just highlight the fact that Roger Deakins has been nominated for the Cinematography Oscar 13 times. That's all right. And he did not win until 2018 with Blade Runner 2049. Listen to some of these other films. Yeah. Sicario, Unbroken, Prisoners, Skyfall, True Grit, The Reader, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, No Country for Old Men, Mm -hmm. The Man Who Wasn't There, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Kundun, Fargo, The Shawshank Redemption. Didn't win for any of those. Finally won for Blade Runner 2049. Wow. Kind of rewarding a career of greatness. Sure. I think, you know, looking at all these films, he certainly should have been... Should have won for No Country for Old Men, the movie that won Best Picture that year. Anyway, um, what else have you got, Cole? So I mentioned the music. It's it's very calming and creates an atmosphere in The Assassination of Jesse James. Music that goes in the other direction in a more bombastic style is definitely Moulin Rouge by Baz Luhrmann. That's a guy that does not have a subtle bone in his body, but it comes off in the style of his movies. 
like when he used modern dance music anachronistically when he adapted The Great Gatsby along with making a lot of other stylistic choices that I loved in that 2013 version. And in Moulin Rouge, he could have just made any other musical but again takes pop music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s and sticks it back in a time where it doesn't belong and again – in your face at all times with the camera work and every other choice he makes. Um, it's a specific style, and I love it. Yeah. Um, I think another one that that could be true of, I, I'm pretty sure the music was uh, pretty energetic. I've only seen it the one time, have never seen it again, is The Fifth Element. Oh, yes. Very stylized. I can't tell you what the story is about. But I know it had Luke Perry and a lot of weird characters in it. So Fifth Element, I think, would be another great example of, you know, really energetic soundtrack, oddball characters wearing oddball costumes. And, uh, yeah, again, I I couldn't tell you what the movie's about. I've got a couple adaptations in the way that they choose to stylize that. 2019 is full of comic book movies, um, as we have been for quite some time now. But there's a couple comic book movies that I think have captured the style of comic books better than others. One is the recent Into the Spider-Verse that was animated in the way that they grabbed kind of the dot coloring of comic books. Ang Lee's Hulk, although it is not a very good movie definitely kind of uses the panels of comic books to tell its story and is more style than substance maybe just for lack of substance but my personal favorite stylized comic book adaptation is scott pilgrim versus the world ah yes this is a film that i saw the first half of and you haven't finished it yet no jeffrey go back and watch it i love this movie and i i think it came out really an unimportant time for me. It was right around when I was graduating high school. I was getting into movies for the first time. And this is one of the first movies right around with The Dark Knight, another comic book movie, no coincidence there, that I called my favorite movie for the longest time. And it's because it was a different kind of movie. You know, anyone can just adapt a comic book and put the story onto the page. But to grab the style of a comic book, I think is a little bit... Different, And that's what Scott Pilgrim went above and beyond to do. I think it's interesting that Ang Lee and the Hulk are in the same sentence, that he directed that. <laughs> Ang Lee's, Isn't that crazy? Ang Lee's other movies are also very stylized um, and end up being better movies also for it. But <laughs> when he did the Hulk, it kind of looked like a comic book too. So the last one I want to mention is also an Academy Award winning film. This is my favorite on this list. And before I get to it, I want to say, Cole, of all the films that you've mentioned, I've probably seen one or two of them. Yeah. So I guess maybe I'm realizing that I'm more of a substance guy than a style guy. And that's all right. I think I am too. But when you watch a hyper-stylized movie, it kind of makes you think and makes you appreciate it and makes you realize that you don't always get that in some of the more generic shot movies. Having said that about me being more substance over style, when it comes to food, uh, yeah, like I'll still go eat fast food knowing there's really not much substance there. It just tastes good. So my food preferences are probably taste over substance. Sure. (laughs) But in movies, I like my substance over style. However, this is one example of – 
this is one of the greatest action movies ever made, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Did not win that, but it won almost everything else it was nominated for. Especially in the technical categories. Right. Had a huge night at the Oscars, and apparently there are going to be more of these films, and I sure hope so, because I was blown away when I saw Mad Max Fury Road starring Tom Hardy and uh, Charlize Theron. Directed by George Miller, who's done some amazing films, the several Mad Max films preceding this among those films. He also did a uh, segment of the Twilight Zone movie that I think is just genius and still to this day the greatest version of the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Is it 20,000 Feet? It's up there. With uh, John Lithgow as the main character in that. However, this film is so over-the-top. You talk about over-the-top action, Cole, in Hobbs and Shaw. It's so over-the-top. It's so bizarre. It's so high-octane that you are just energized throughout the entire movie. The plot is secondary, but you don't care because the entire time I was watching this film, I just had the thought... How could a human being even dream up what I'm seeing on screen right now? It was almost as if my eyes could not believe what was being presented to me. It was that imaginative. And I, everything from the uh, rock and roll guitar playing, flame throwing guy to these guys that their their whole job is to hang on these poles and like tether back and forth from car to car. You have cars flying up into the air in the in the cyclone. It is just unlike anything you've ever seen, for better or worse, Cole. Because I understand that you're not a huge fan of this film, but uh, I can't wait to go watch it again. It's it's certainly unique looking, and that is what we're trying to capture here. And again, more so than just your generic action movie, they did something different to kind of catch your eye. And Nicholas Holt as this really bizarre, uh, you know, albino type guy who you know speaks in a very gravelly voice, and yeah, it's Nicholas Holt like you've never seen him before. That's true. My last couple are the movies that were the launching off point for this conversation for me. It's what made me think of style instead of substance. Um, One is we talk about football coming back. I've seen a lot of sports movies in my day, but none quite like Any Given Sunday starring Al Pacino. Mm. This one is just the way they tell the sports story feels more like you're watching ESPN and not in the hokey kind of, you know, ESPN is actually on in Rocky Five and like simulating the fight. Sure. But more the energy of putting together a sports highlight and just the kind of testosterone-filled oeuvre that that gives off of just watching the sports channel and seeing, you know, believing that these teams are real and that they were going up against each other. Instead of just shooting a football game the way some movies do, this was right in there and and shot it in a different style. Okay, interesting. Um, But my personal favorite overly stylized, over-substance movie is Speed Racer. (laughs) It's an adaptation of a 60s television show that I admittedly watched when I was a kid. But this one just uses the colors and the soundtrack and everything about 
what made the old cartoon kind of goofy and put it onto the screen for you in a way that you couldn't believe was possible. Wow. I have not seen this film. I know it's the the Wachowskis that did it. And they could be called for style over substance in even like The Matrix and some of their amazing movies. They have a specific style and it's not the same style every time, right? Zack Snyder or Miyazaki or Wes Anderson, you kind of know their style when you see it. The Wachowskis are able to kind of adapt and give you a different looking film no matter what they're doing. The Matrix, they revolutionized the way a lot of people then tried to copy uh, action scenes yeah. and doing slow motion. But Speed Racer didn't end up being as successful, so we didn't see as many copies. And so I think it really stands in stark contrast to any other movie ever made, the way it shows you action of a race scene, but in this world where it's kind of futuristic and the races are ridiculous and it's a little bit like a video game, but a little bit like a real race and it It puts you in the driver's seat and takes you around these crazy turns, and it looks beautiful while doing it. And it's PG to boot. Beautiful movie. I have fun for the whole family. It's not going to be a normal movie, and so it would be an interesting thing to put in front of a kid and see what they think of it. Well, I'll have a few more words to say on the matter of style over substance in our Panning for Good segment. And I'll talk about a very stylish movie that I've just been meaning to watch when we return on Screen Clean. We are so excited here on Screen Cleaning to bring you a brand new segment, a segment that Cole came up with that he and I are both really excited about because I, in particular, can sometimes just be a bit of a procrastinator. There are just things that I just don't get around to. And uh, the same could be said of my movie watching. You know, I've been meaning to watch that. The idea behind this segment is every movie fan has that long list of things that they've been meaning to watch and they just don't get around to it for whatever reason. Um, Partially the motivation of this is selfish, that I want to give myself an excuse and some accountability to knock some of those movies off of my list. So Jeff and I will present a couple movies that we've been meaning to watch and then Narrow it down to one specifically, and then next week we will report back on if we watched it or not. And, you you know, we're supposed to. Yeah. You know you've got some good candidates when you go through your Netflix queue or, in my case, your YouTube TV queue, and you realize, oh, I added that like two, three years ago, and I have still not watched it. And yet we refuse to let these movies go, to shorten the queue. We, and, and so they just get longer and longer and longer until you've got hundreds of movies to choose from. My favorite is when on Netflix I'll put something in my queue and then it'll leave Netflix so it'll be gone from my list for a while. <laughs> and then it comes back and it like shows up back in my list again um, just reminding me how slow I am to get around to things. That's when you know you have a problem. <laughs> so looking over at my list, I have several that, yeah, I just have not gotten around to. You talked about horror movies earlier, Cole. There, there's one that uh, is kind of kind of referenced a lot in pop culture in one form or another, and it's this idea of just the evil child, right? Mm-hmm. We're, as adults, we're so afraid of our own children. I'm not sure why. I'm sure Freud could tell us why, but uh, 
The Bad Seed is an old black and white wow. film. I've I've listened to the book, or yeah, I've listened to the audiobook. Never watched the movie. I've seen other forms of it, like The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> but not The Bad Seed. I've also never seen My Fair Lady, if you can believe that. Whoa. Somebody like me who's really into musicals. We talked about musicals a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, this is an award-winning film. Never seen it. I saw half of Unbroken, and our babysitter called us home midway through, so we had to leave. Never went back and watched it. That's sitting in my queue. Uh there's another thriller slash horror film, also black and white, from the golden days of Hollywood, some might say. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Yes. That's uh, a great movie. Never seen it. So, I, in fact, I've I've tried to watch it twice and have just never finished it. Hmm. So when I say tried to watch it, I'm maybe 10, 15 minutes into it, right? And would it surprise you to know, Cole, I have never seen The Godfather. Oh, my goodness. Is, did I just drop a bomb on you? We This is a movie show, Jeff. We're supposed to be the yeah. experts for the people. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Since I've already tried to watch this film two to three times, I'll commit to finishing Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and then clearing it from my queue. Gotcha. Sound good? Sounds good. I've got a couple as well. I mentioned football movies and how much I love football, the sport, and football movies as well. I love the television show Friday Night Lights, and I've been meaning to watch the movie for quite some time. That surprises me, but as big in sports as you are. And, and I really Even I've did. seen that. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, and I, I know kind of what it's about. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. The other three-named fella. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's been on my list for quite some time. Doubt with Meryl Streep is kind of a movie that people tell me is great. And so I keep putting on my list and haven't gotten around to it. But the one I want to commit to and kind of follows in our theme of style over substance today is a Terrence Malick flick called The Tree of Life. Whoa, that is quite a commitment, Cole. I haven't gotten around to watching it. It's it's kind of a harder movie to it's a movie that I've started before but haven't quite finished cuz it's different it's it's very stylized but this week I'm going to go watch The Tree of Life. That's an ambitious goal for what I hear is a very ambitious movie. Right. Okay, well I'm excited to report back on uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane and I'll tell you all about the aesthetics of The Tree of Life. That's all next week, but before we leave you, we gotta get the latest update on the box office. That's coming up next, here on Screen Cleaning. That is our big summer movie blockbuster soundtrack right there for you. One of these days, hopefully before the end of summer, but probably not, we'll decide what this is called. It's the summer scoreboard box office blockbuster something or other. I like the fact that it changes from week to week because so do these box office numbers, Cole. And some more than I would care to admit. And I'm speaking, of course, of the behemoth that is The Lion King. Number one on my list. Before the summer started, Jeff and I predicted which movies would do the best in the box office. I thought the best would be Lion King, and it looks like I'm going to be right. And I put that one at number three, didn't I? Mm, no faith. Oh, my goodness. I I think 
aside from the fact that I'm annoyed that it's doing so well because I didn't put it at number one, the more time passes, the more I think I am not liking this as much as I remembered liking it while I watched it. Because it of all these other films that are already remakes or sequels, it's pretty much exactly like the original. And it can be some of that like, oh, I thought it was good, but not this good. Right. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it's just it's not different enough to really warrant its existence. And in fact, even though I said I enjoyed it, you'll recall from my review that I said throughout the movie, I kept thinking, why does it exist? There's no reason for this movie to be right. So we also know that uh, Quentin Tarantino is probably going to end the summer on—no, not even a probably. He will end the summer in the top ten. Neither of neither Cole nor I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on our top ten. It's probably going to be the one to kick out Rocket Man that I was hoping beyond hope that it would stay, but— Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had his best opening weekend of any Quentin Tarantino film with $41 million just last week. And it's already up to $55 million now. And let me ask you, Cole, with this and John Wick 3, are we even on the number of films that's going to end up in the top 10? Yes. So when Dark Phoenix got kicked out for you and when Rocket Man gets kicked out for me, then we will have exactly the same movies in the rest of our top 10. We also both included Men in Black International, which will not complete the top 10. But the other eight, we did a good job at. Uh-oh. Does that mean I'm going to – oh, am I going to so have seven or eight? So it'll all be down to eight? placement. Okay. We will each have eight movies. Okay. In the top 10, both missing out on John Wick 3 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My saving grace is going to be Aladdin. It really will be. You were a little higher on that than I was. But we've got one more movie coming in that we had a little bit slightly different opinions on. I was a little higher on where Hobbs and Shaw would finish than you. And so let's talk a little bit about the Fast and the Furious movies for a second, Jeffrey. Okay, Cole, we know you like Fast and Furious, but I'll indulge you. The people love it too, Jeff. The last two Fast and Furious movies, Furious 7 and Fate, F8 of the Furious, were both a billion-dollar grocers worldwide and both had really good numbers domestically as well in the $300 and $200 million range. However, this movie does not have Vin Diesel, it does not have Paul Walker, and apparently, according to you, it does not have a ton of fast cars. Yeah, it's it's a spinoff, and so we can kind of look at the way that the Star Wars movies, how Solo kind of underperformed Rogue One, they don't do as well as the movie's within the true trilogy or nineology that is Star Wars nowadays. Nineology. Um nice. this is kind of a take on the movies and so it will probably be a little bit lower, but when your movies are making consistently 200 or more million dollars domestically, that would put it firmly in the number 4 or 5 range. So it'll be interesting to see if it can get up to Aladdin in just this last month of the summer. Well, Universal is anticipating an opening of around $60 million. Which isn't fantastic. It's not. It's better than, the, than a kick in the pants, and it's <laughs> almost enough to just kick out some of these films in our top ten of their entire run over the summer. So 
it's uh, it's nothing to be uh, ashamed of. And the last thing to note, I've I've mentioned kind of in passing that you know they've been over two hundred million dollars recently, but. Is interest waning in the Fast and Furious franchise? Number seven made three hundred fifty-three million, and number eight only may only made two hundred twenty-five million. It went down by a hundred million. It's pitiful. So if Hobbs and Shaw kind of has that going for it, if the franchise is on a downhill, and if this is just a spinoff that isn't going to make as much as the true franchise anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this does this weekend and for the rest of the summer. Well, I want to talk about one more movie that wasn't included in our style over substance uh, conversation, although it should have been, especially as we're talking about box office numbers, because this is a movie that bombed, and it's really quite a shame, and I want to talk about it in our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. You know, I would venture to say that a filmmaker that should be in the style over substance conversation, even more so than Wes Anderson, because his films have substance, would be somebody by the name of Michael Bay. Oh. (laughs) Just forget about the Transformers movies. Even forget about the fun, dumb 90s, early 2000s movies of like... Armageddon and Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor and The Rock and Con Air. I want to talk about my favorite Michael Bay movie, which is a film that I knew nothing about going into it. In fact, I was visiting family in Utah before I lived in Utah, and I just said, just drop me off at the Dollar Theater. And I saw a double feature, saw Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I did not care for, then I saw a Michael Bay film. I had never seen a trailer, knew nothing about it, and I was pleasantly surprised uh, when I saw The Island, starring oh. Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson, Sean Bean, and Jaiman Hinsu. Right? This is a film that is all about fun action sequences and chase scenes, and it's about these people that live in this community where their food is rationed and their weight and their health is very closely monitored and they don't get to make a lot of their own choices. And their only ticket out of this place is to go to this place called the island. And the people who win a ticket to the island are determined in this raffle system. And people are so excited and jealous for those that get to go and they don't get to go. But it isn't until about 30 minutes into the movie that you find out what the island is. And let's just say it's not something that these characters should have been excited for, which makes Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson decide to uh, try to escape from this little community. And once once the chase starts, it does not stop And it's one of those films that when it shows up on TV, I'll watch it every time. It's so entertaining, and it really surprised me because I was not expecting anything, especially when I found out it was directed by Michael Bay. Set those expectations low. Right. Did not do well at the box office, and it's just an enjoyable 
fun ride of a movie. Well, now I've got something else that I've been meaning to watch. <laughs> yeah. So put it on that list, Cole, and hopefully you'll be watching it in the near future, as you should all. It is PG-13. It, there is some violence there, but there's a great freeway chase scene involving – you know how you're always – you always see these giant uh, semi-trucks that are transporting something that you're like, I'm not even sure what that is. But if that fell off of that semi-truck, <laughs> I would die, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So uh, just look for something like that in the island. Gotcha. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We are here each and every week on BYU Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. You can also download the podcast or stream us live on byuradio.org. Anywhere you can find a podcast, you can listen to us. And we will be here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment news. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we'll see you next time.